0: Praise the Lord, praise the Lord for just a, another time of worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, and it's a great song that God has been faithful, will continue to be faithful. Uh, that's, that's just his resume. He's a faithful God. He is a faithful God, and um, on our way here, we, we dropped off our youngest um, so at the day, the daycare, the day camp, and we saw our middle daughter in the field. They was, it was just pandemonium. <laughs> it was just great. It's just great. Just great. A lot of energy, um, just having fun. And what a joy, what a joy it is to just to see the kids just in, enjoying. But most importantly, they're, they're getting poured into, amen? They're getting poured into things that will help them in life sustain them in life, giving them the most precious thing, which is the awe and wonder of, of the Lord and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 1, if you have a Bible or a digital device, we're in Proverbs chapter 1. And again, um, I'm just sharing what the Lord's been just dealing with me on, teaching me. And so today, well, yesterday we looked at the issue of faith and a powerful story in Second Chronicles 20, and now we're going to look at this issue of wisdom. Obviously, the whole book of Proverbs is on wisdom. However, there's a, there's a powerful nugget of truth here we're going to look at in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 19 will be where we will, will camp out. I lived in Chicago for 12 years, and let me, let me say this with confidence. I do not miss the winters. <laughs> I do not miss the winters. My wife's from the south side of Chicago, and uh, I was on staff at Oakdale Covenant Church. My pastor actually, is actually still there. Uh, when I graduated from Bible College, first ministry opportunity, was serving as a youth pastor there. Uh, no, my wife w- wasn't in my youth group when I met her. She was a y- young adult, wanting to serve. And so um, during my tenure there at Oakdale, you know, inner city ministry is just a whole different beast. It's just you never know what you're going to get every day. It's just something. Something's going to happen um, is just more heightened. Same issues, but it's just more heightened when you're living in the inner city. And I never forget um, one eventful day. It was a good, productive day. My pastor and I were visiting some people in um, from the congregation who were sick and shut in. So we went to visit one man who was a, a well-known builder in the Chicagoland area. He was part of the building, major building pro- uh, projects of the Sears Tower and. Uh, the John Hancock building, and, you know, I'm just uh, curious by nature. So well, we, were, we were over his house. He's just telling us about his experience, and I asked him, I said, well, what, what, what about this and what about that? And he's just happily answering uh, all the questions. Then I asked him, I said, well, what is the key to building a tall skyscraper? Without hesitation, he was like, easy, son, you keep digging. So <laughs> what? He said, yeah, you keep digging. You keep digging. You keep digging until you hit something hard. Once you hit bedrock, then you can build something very strong, sturdy and high. But he kept emphasizing you have to keep digging. It's easy to have a shallow and weak foundation when it comes to life. Here is the ingredient of having a weak and shallow foundation. Listen to yourself. Listen to the culture. Lean on your own understanding. Major in first opinions, chapter 2, verse 6. Listen to society. Follow the pattern of the world. You might go a little further, but you're not going to maximize potential because you're going to be more frustrated because the foundation is not building something steady. But yet, when we look at Scripture, we see that God is a rock, He's our refuge and he's our strength. And when my life is anchored in him, then I can have a life that's sturdy, a life that's strong, a faith that endures. Why? Because the Lord is my foundation. As a matter of fact, personally, uh, as the new year turned, uh, it, it just seemed like it was January 1st yesterday. I mean, where, where, this is July. Goodness gracious alive! Time flies by. But for me, I, I, give, I try to give myself a word every year. I'm not really big into New Year's resolutions, especially gym people. They, they commit in you know, the first month and they quit by Valentine's Day. Whole nother conversation. But what's interesting is for me, my, my, my word for this year has been bedrock. Just personally. I, just wanted, I said, Lord, I just want to go deeper in the scriptures. I just want to go deeper in my walk with you. Because honestly, the most important thing we have is not the resume. It's not, it's not the degrees. It's not the training. All we have at the end of the day is our walk with God. That's it. That's it. The most important thing is our walk with God. And so with that being said, we need to focus on bedrock. Focus on bedrock. Wisdom, as we come to Proverbs, wisdom, or let me be more specific, godly wisdom is the ability to take God's truth and apply it to everyday life. It's the ability to take What God has said and apply it to a decision or a counseling situation or a personal reality, whatever it is, it's the ability to take God's truth and apply it to everyday life. Now, here's the key. The foundation of godly wisdom is not godly wisdom. Stay with me. The foundation of applying God's truth to everyday life is not godly wisdom. The foundation, here it is, is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In fact, other places in Proverbs says it's the beginning of wisdom. I love the next line. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So show me a person who applies God's truth to everyday life or is seeking to apply God's truth to everyday life, and I'll show you a person at the base, at the root, at the foundation of their life is that they are a person that takes God seriously. A fool is a person who does not take God seriously. Thus, they don't have godly wisdom. They might have human wisdom. Uh, It might look or mirror to a certain degree But as my grandmama used to say, and I said this the other day, time will tell no lies. We can hide behind lies, but we can't hide fruit. Our life preaches a louder sermon than our mouths. So our feet preach something that we need to pay attention to. And so the fear of the Lord is the key, is the root of godly wisdom. And from that foundation, we can really see the Lord do marvelous things in our life. So... All that was set up to get to verse 8 to 19. If you'd like to take notes, here's my sermon in a sentence. As we look at at Proverbs 1, verse 8 to 19, here it is in one sentence. Don't let anyone pull you away from fearing the Lord. Don't let anyone or anything pull you away from fearing the Lord. And what I love about this portion of Scripture is that we're going to see a father speaking to his son. He, it's almost as if he's grabbing his son by the lapels and he's pleading with him with this true son. Don't let anyone pull you away from the fear of the Lord. How many of us agree that there's a whole lot of distractions out there? Whole lot of distractions. Don't let anyone pull you away from fear of the Lord. First of all, there's the call to wisdom. There's a call to wisdom. Look, look at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. Remember Jesus the other day when we were looking at Mark 4? Let him who has ears, let him hear, hear, hear. It's more than just hearing. you hear hearing me talk. It's, it's the idea of, yes, son, I need you to hear this with the goal to obey what I'm saying. As my daddy used to say, boy, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. You don't have to pray about this one, right? Hear. With the goal to obey, my son. Maybe this is one of Solomon's son. Maybe this is an imagery. Whatever it is, it's a it's a father speaking to his son, and a father also is uh, is is bringing his wife and the the boy's mother, and it's a family affair. It's it's the appeal to wisdom. You see, it's interesting. Jewish families would have taken this very seriously, this idea of instruction, this idea of teaching. Uh, in the Jewish context, it's, it's, it's the Torah, it's the law, it's, it's the word of God. They would have taken Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7 very seriously. Look at what it says, or listen to what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Here it is. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It's a powerful implication here. in this family, a father and a mother speaking to their son with the instruction of the word of God, A powerful implication is given, and that is this, that the word of God should never be a point of reference to our lives. It must be the context of our lives. There's a difference. The word of God should never be a point of reference. It must be the context of our lives, that my life orbits around the truth of God's word. My life, it's not like, oh, I'll go to God when, I, when I'm in trouble. No, every day I need to feast off of Route 66. Every day God has sent me a text message. Apple wasn't the first to create that. Technology wasn't the first to create that. God has sent in you, you and I a text message that we need to listen from his word. And so this family, they didn't view the word of God as some point of reference. No, 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 no. We orbit our lives around the truth of God's word. Because God has spoken, and he has not stuttered. And so this father is calling his son to listen. He's appealing to his son to listen to him and his mama. But notice the outcome if his son, who literally has no excuse, if he receives the word. Look at verse 9. For they, that's the instruction and teaching of the word of God. For they are a graceful garland for your head and Pendants for your neck. Oh, so you got an ornament, you got a crown, you got a necklace. Bling, bling. Catch the imagery. If the son listens to the instruction and teaching from his parents that's rooted in God's truth, if he applies God's truth to everyday life, it's going to be like a crown. It's going to be like a necklace. The implication is, is that as he obeys and applies God's truth, what's going to be on display is Godliness. What's going to be on display is godly character. What's going to be on display is God's blessing and favor over this young man's life. Not for the young man's glory, but for the glory of God. There's going to be something different when when people look at your life because they see the aura and the aroma of God. They may not be able to articulate it, but there's something different about that person. I'll tell you what's different. It's because God is pleased and his presence and his joy and his intimacy is seen on display in our lives. So by way of implication, what, what, what can we learn in just these first few verses? Let me stop and come to your neighborhood and give us a few thoughts here, just based upon verses eight and nine. First thing I'll say is this, wisdom must be cultivated in the home. Now I'm going to say something that's countercultural and it's not popular, but I, I don't do recreational preaching because I'm standing on truth when I say this. Listen to me. It is the parent's job to be the primary discipler and Bible teacher to their kids. that's, That's not on the camp. That's not on the pastor. That's not on the Sunday school teacher. That's not on the neighbor down the street. And if you really want to go further, the burden and the responsibility to raise the kids is on the man. To spiritually lead his home. Now let me balance it out and say this. I do realize we live in a fallen world. There are broken families. We all all have seen it. Maybe you've been directly impacted by it. But that still doesn't change the reality that in the home, that's where wisdom must be cultivated. Are we discipling our kids? Are we pouring into them the beauty and wonder of Jesus Christ? Are we exposing them? And praise God for ministries like this. And praise God for the local church. Those are supplements, but that's not the main course meal. And as as a preacher's kid, as I get older, I'm more grateful for my parents than ever before when I look over my own life. My father would, would, every week, would take me and my little sister to Shoney's down the street From the house at a breakfast buffet, I would stuff my face happy with some breakfast buffet. Hash browns and eggs and hallelujah, Jesus. But I I knew it. it was inevitable. Dad would pull out his Bible and we'll walk through the word of God. Every week we would have time around the dinner table and my mom and my dad would consistently show up and teach us the scriptures. My dad, who's a preacher, I would tag along with him and watch him do his thing and not realizing that God was going to be calling me to that as a senior in high school. And, but I'm grateful for my parents. They're not perfect people, but they did the best they could. And, and my dad, who's a preacher, his private life to me is more impressive than his public life because he taught us the scriptures. And my mother, who did not believe in going to Bedside Baptists. No, you're going to church. I don't care how you feel. This ain't no conversation up in here. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So wisdom must be cultivated in a home. The second implication I'll say is this, and I've already tipped my hand to this, is that wisdom must be lived out at home. Truth must be incarnational. It's not good enough for me to tell my kids or oh, read a scripture and then not live it. That's, that's, that's horrible. That's hypocrisy. We have to live this thing. How are our kids going to understand what evangelism looks like if they never see evangelism at home? How are they going to get a picture of what prayer looks like when they don't see prayer at home? How are they going to see a healthy marriage, a marriage that, 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 that's pursuing intimacy and growing along when they, when they don't see it at home? See, wisdom must be cultivated in the home. But the third implication here is wisdom honors parents. Not just children, but even adults. Whether you had a good relationship with your parents or not, the Bible doesn't give any disclaimers. It just says honor, obey, honor your parents. That's very wise. I like what one scholar says, he says about these two verses here, he says, if the fear of the Lord is at the root of our quest for wisdom, Family instruction is the trunk from which wisdom grows. Let me say it again. If the fear of the Lord is at the root of our quest for wisdom, family instruction is the trunk from which wisdom grows. And so you see this father, he's calling his son. To lean into the instruction, which we know is is the anchor of truth to his life a call to wisdom, but the second main move in this passage is not only the call to wisdom, but secondly it's what I call the chaos of the wicked. Now it's interesting, whenever my dad is, when he's really serious, you can see he'll have a little curl it's a little curl right here and when he does this, I'm thinking, oh my life is over. <laughs> he says, come here, come here, come here son, and you kind of feel that with this father speaking to his son look, 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 at, verse, look at verse 10 my son if sinners entice you, do not consent. Get the scene. Mother and father in the home, biblical training. Then he says, if sinners entice you. Now, he's not saying this. Don't, don't read this thinking that he, he's implying, hey, we're better than them. That's not what he's saying. The implication or the white spaces in these verses is, hey, 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 Well, we're getting biblical framework in this house. We're we're trying to serve the Lord and you're going to be existing in a world and context where not everybody is going to believe like you. Not everybody is going to stand for truth like you. Jesus is not going to be the apple of everybody's eye. You're inevitably going to engage people that do not desire the cross at all. So if sinners entice you. They try to tempt you. They try to bait you. They try to lure you over. Hey, roll with us. Hang with us. This just isn't a youth thing. This, in general, is a people thing. There's real influences. He says, do not consent. Don't listen to them. Don't give in. Taken from Paul's words, stand firm. Stand firm. Now, what's going to happen in verses 11 to 14 (laughs) The father gives various scenarios. Obviously, this is not a full exhaustive list. This is just a few things he tells his son not to consent to. Number one, do not consent to, look at this, senseless killings. Look at verse 11. He says, if they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. What a profound verse in a context of a world that we live in today. Did you know that there, since January, there was over 250-plus mass shootings? There was just one on the 4th of July in Chicagoland area. I saw a YouTube video today of this couple that was there. They end up seeing a little infant covered in blood. It wasn't his blood. It was his parents who got killed at the parade. And now this infant has no parents. Senseless killings. God help us. The elementary school in Texas grieves. But yet you have people out there that's sick. Yeah, let's kill as many people. Let's take them out. Let's put them in the grave. Matter of fact, let's put them under the grave. Look at verse 12. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. I mean, this is the idea of total consumption. I mean, how sick is that? How sick is that? I mean, as a father, I, elementary school, middle school, and high school student, my high schooler, this school year in the fall, this, in the fall of 2021, some dumb kid thought he would. Make a joke about shooting up the place on Snapchat. Stupid. Everybody taking this seriously. I'm going to take my daughter to school. It was a Friday, and uh, National Guard's there. Several cops are there. Praise God, one of the deacons in our church uh, that I'm I'm on staff at, he's a high school uh, English teacher at my daughter's school. Half the school didn't even show up because of fear. And now as a father, I have to talk to my kids. We can't be paralyzed by fear. Be legitimately concerned, but trust the Lord at the same time. But unfortunately, there are senseless killings. And there's people out there, what this verse implies, that totally wants to consume. He tells his son, son, don't consent to that mess. He also says, don't consent to robbing. Look at verse 13. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. That's the idea of. We're not taking cheap stuff. We, let's take valuable things. Let's, let's fill our pockets, man. Let's, let's rack up. Let's steal the finer things. Let's just do it. These people think that they can circumvent the system and through theft enjoy the fruit of other men's labors. And so this father's telling his son, don't go down that road. But he also tells them, don't, don't consent to false blessing. Verse 14, throw in your lot among us and we will... All have one purse. Yeah, yeah, you, you join us in this chaos. You join us in this mess. You're going to get blessed. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to have your cut. You're, you're going to have your cut, and you're going to love it, man. And the father's like, don't go down that road. Now, you're probably thinking, what does this have to do with me? I'm not robbing nobody. I'm not, I'm not trying to get involved with senseless killings. I'm not, I'm not sitting here uh, seeking false blessing. You know, I'm just trying to do my thing. I mean, what does this have to do with me? It actually has everything to do with us. Let me, let me give you three pieces of mail here. Number one, we all have a tremendous capacity to sin. <laughs> Daddy used to always say, Never say what you'll never do. God help us. When we hear of a pastor or a leader get exposed over some sin issues, oh, God, keep us from the spirit of pride. Oh, how dare they? Oh, no, no, don't do that. We all should say, oh, but for the grace of God, there go I. We all are one step away, one decision away from stupid. We have tremendous capacity. The same feet that walked in here to worship the Lord, to hear the word of God, can be the same feet that can go into some dark places. The same voices that we use to sing the songs of Zion can be the same voices used to curse someone. The same hands that we lift and we clap to praise God can be the same hands that can do some abominable things. Lord, help me. Keep me from me. I am prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it in my own soul. Psalm 19 verse 13 says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous meaning willful, deliberate sins. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. I want this. I'm going down the road. I know it's wrong, but right now it feels right to me. You know what? I, I've, I've done good all my life. Why don't I just try this mess right over here? Let me tell you, the worst kind are those who name the name of Jesus and know better But still want to go down that dark road, and we all are prone to do that. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So the first implication from these verses is that we all have a tremendous capacity to sin. But also, the second thought here is that we must reject ungodliness. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. If I want to counter this evil in my own heart, I must daily surrender to Christ. One of my counselors uh, that I I went to get some therapy, uh, just dealing with a lot of ministry stuff back when we living in Chicago. And one of the things he used to always say in our counseling sessions, I love it. I love it. It's so simple but so powerful. He would say, invite in the presence of Christ. Whether you're tempted, whether it's a thought, whatever it is. We have to live in the posture of saying, Father, I surrender to you. I realize that my heart, left in and of itself, is gonna do some crazy stuff. So, Father, I'm asking you to keep my mind in perfect peace as my mind is stayed on you. I'm asking that I said that I have a sense of urgency and obedience in my own heart, leaning upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if I don't, I'm gonna end up being like these guys that the Father's trying to tell his son to avoid. We must reject ungodliness. But also, third implication, is that we need real godly friends. As iron sharpens iron. One pastor says, anybody who makes it easy for us to disobey God certainly isn't a friend. Do you have friends? Do you have friends that can call your mess out? That are not impressed with you? flat out will tell you, you're wrong. That can cry with you. That can go to bat with you. There's three buddies of mine, uh, Randall, Darnell, and Eric. We've been friends since the late 90s. We all marry, got kids, and two of us are ministers, and the other two are believers, but they're working in one, both are educators, and (laughs) they can say stuff to me they, however way they want to, they just, and we've had those moments. We've cried together. We've gone, through, we've gone through some wars together. But I praise God for that. Who do you have in your life that can call you out and say, no, man, don't, don't, don't go down that road. I plead with you. This father is pleading with his son. Don't go down the road of Chaos. Because if I'm not yoked up with the Lord, hear me, chaos will find me. Chaos will find me. So there's a call to wisdom. There's the chaos of the wicked. And thirdly and finally, there's the consequences of wrongdoing. There's a scary line that I heard a pastor say. It's an, it, it always gives me chills. We can choose the sin, but not the consequences. Oh, yeah, yeah. you want to go down the road? Okay, go go ahead, go ahead, go See see how far that gets you. But no, know this. Consequences belong to God. And there's nothing worse than God pulling the blanket off of us and exposing our mess. There's nothing worse than the Lord turning us over, saying, okay, you don't want to listen? See how far your disobedience will get you. So the consequences of wrongdoing we see in the text. Look at verse 15. Interesting. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Why? For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. The father's pleading with the son, don't walk in the way with them. Don't walk, don't walk, don't walk. He's not literally talking about walking. Uh, walking in scripture primarily has to do with how I conduct my life. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, the, the, pro- the progress or the downward spiral of those who choose to live a wicked and unrighteous life. There's a progression. Don't let what they do become your life. You know better, son. Don't let what they do become your lifestyle. Don't walk. Don't live like them. Don't pattern your steps. Don't pattern your thought process around them. Thus, he says, hold back your foot from their paths. One version says, don't put your feet where they walk. Psalm 119, 101 says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. The Hebrew word to hold back means to refuse. It literally is to have a deliberate de- decision that I'm going to make a deliberate decision not to go down that road. And maybe you're here today and there's a person or some people in your sphere that you're like, you know what, I need to distance myself from this particular group. It's not healthy for me. Who is it? What is it that I need to cut out of my life that I know is a bad influence? We have to make a deliberate decision. Hold back your foot from their paths. Why? For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. It's a pretty funny illustration that he gives. And if you look at verse 17, it's pretty, it's sobering and funny at the same time. Look at verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. Think about that. <laughs> in other words, translation no bird is going to walk in a trap that it sees that's what he's saying no bird is going to fly in a trap that it sees this is hilarious i was uh, told told the church uh, uh, a couple weeks ago um it was one morning um i was coming back from the gym was getting ready for the day and, and taking the key getting ready to take the kids to school and we've all seen pigeons fly everywhere right and um I'm, I'm on my way to about to walk upstairs. We have a, we have a, a this window on the second floor. And I just heard this. Boom. I'm like What was that? I looked towards the window. I saw the silhouette <laughs> of a bird. Like literally the wings, his head. The Joker didn't see that one coming. He flew, boom, right into, and he slid, looked down at the ground. He was dead. He was gone. I mean, just like that. He ain't see that one coming. He ain't seen that one coming. No bird is going to fly into a trap that it sees. Is what the father is saying. Interesting, verse eighteen. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Mm. Those who pursue a lifestyle of disobedience are killing themselves. Those who willfully reject the grace and mercy and goodness of God, those who willfully reject the prompting of the Holy Spirit and choose to go left when he tells them to go right, they metaphorically are putting a noose around their own neck and they're going to be killing themselves. The old line is true. You heard that line, what goes around Comes around. Uh, scripture uh, equivalent is Galatians six seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Another scary passage of scripture is Numbers thirty two twenty three. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. Here it is. And be sure your sin will find you out. Thus the father concludes. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Listen to this. You're free to take what you want from life, but eventually you'll have to pay for it. And the price you pay is higher than the value you gain. You end up sacrificing the permanent for the immediate, and that's a bad investment. The end won't go well for a disobedient life. We all struggle. There's no perfect person. But am I seeking to pursue the Lord? Let me ask us, as we get ready to close, as I land the plane here, let me ask us a few questions. As we think about these verses, question number one, who who am I feeding the most? My flesh or my spirit? Because we are feeding some, one of those, I mean, on a day-to-day basis. You don't have to teach a toddler how to be selfish. Hello, parents. How many of y'all had to break up those sibling wars? It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. No, she, no, you had it already. It's mine. And you're now you're, you, you got to referee the situation. See? Again, who are we feeding? Am I feeding or am I on a process of feeding my heart God's truth? Or are my feet and my flesh selfishness and things that enhance that? Here's another question. What sinful traps have currently consumed my life? What secret sins have I been managing but not dealing with? Because you do know God wants us to deal with our sin and not manage it. You know, you, you, when you manage something, you're not really dealing with it. You're just, okay, I'm just going to do enough. You know, I mean, don't, won't nobody know. It's just between me and God. It's a bad plan. Let the Holy Spirit convict. What sinful traps have currently consumed my life? Here's another one. Am I willing to deal with my sin? Am I willing to deal with it? You know, as a pastor, I gotta tell you, you 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 see a lot of people that'll come in for help. Hey, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with this, and you you know, with empathy, you're listening, you're listening, and obviously there's care and you you want to help people. And if it's a sin issue, and oh man, I'm just I'm just yeah, I did it, I did it, I did it, okay, okay. And th- this this is how you can tell if they're really serious. Here's how you can tell if a person's genuinely repentive. Here it is. They're willing to to do whatever it takes. They don't care about the image. They want to just be right with God and be right with those that they injured. And if a person's not willing to do that, they're not repentive. They're just sorry they got caught. And that's a hard reality. I've had to actually tell people, hey, man, you're not, you're not, you're not serious about this. What do you mean? You're, not, you're making excuses? You're justifying. That's not, that's not genuineness. That's worldly grief, is what Paul would say. But that's not a repentance or, or grief that leads to repentance. That's just, hey, I got caught. I'm trying to fix it, trying to clean it up. So I ask this the question again, am I willing to deal with my sin? No matter how hard it hurts. Because at the end of the day, it's all about being made right with God. Being made right with God. Here's another one. Are those in my present circle good for my walk with Christ? Are those in my present circle good for my walk with Christ? You know that answer. Here's another one. Do I, do I listen to loving rebuke and wise counsel? Who's speaking into my life? Who am I submitting myself to? Here's the last one. Is the fear of the Lord something I'm pursuing? In other words, do I daily take God seriously or am I growing in my relationship and taking him seriously? Because at any given moment, God can say to us, give me back my breath. Do I take him seriously? All of us make choices. (laughs) We make choices every day. What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, how we're going to navigate this route to work. Um, You know, how we're going to how we're going to handle this problem or whatever. We all make choices. But what about spiritual things? Right. And that's where I believe God is calling us today. We're. Where where are we lying at now spiritually? Where, where 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 are we gonna rest here? We need to respond to wisdom's call. We need to uh, take inventory of any chaos in my own life due to my disobedience, and we need to take heed to the consequences of wrongdoing. I don't know about you, but I want to. I want to <laughs> live my life before the Lord. I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to go left. I want. I want to stay in His presence and. And when I do stumble, because we all will, we, we have an advocate with the Father. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I want to stay in the light. I want to I live my life in the light. And when I do that, then the grace of God flows and, and his strength flows and his blessing flows. But I have to make that choice. God's not going to coddle me. He's not going to force me. He's calling me. He's convicted me. And so... What's going to be our decision? My prayer is that our decision is, yes, I want to pursue this reality of fearing the Lord. Don't let anyone pull you away from fearing the Lord. That's the message of this passage. And may that be our pursuit every day as we live this life before him. Amen. Father, your word is true and it's convicting. <laughs> My goodness, it's so it's like a mirror. It just shows us our mess. And, Lord, nobody here is perfect. We all stumble in many ways. And, but, Lord, may we be on this trajectory of growing, of abiding in you, John 15, of pursuing you. We pray that as we are in the Scriptures, as we are growing in you, that we would listen to your voice, that we listen to your spirit we, 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 we repent genuinely and we deal with our mess and we keep on moving towards you. And as Paul would tell us, that we set our minds on things above, that we put off the, 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 the stuff that, that's not of you and we put on Christ. This is a moment-by-moment moment decision. Yes, we enjoy life. Yes, we have fun and we, we, we enjoy our families and all the above. You've called us, Lord. You've, you've given this wonderful ministry a wonderful place to laugh and to have fun. And so you're not calling us to be stiff-necked, you know, you know tidy-whitey uh, Christians. You no, know, no, enjoy life. But as we enjoy life, Lord, may it be that of a life that says, Oh, my happiness and my joy is in the Lord. My joy is in the Lord and what he has done and how he's pouring into my children, my grandchildren, and my families. May you be our delight, Lord, more than anything else, as we seek to please you and walk in this thing called wisdom that's rooted on the foundation of fearing you. Lord, I don't want to be a fool. I want to be one that fears you. And I pray that everyone here has that same conviction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.